Welcome to episode 228 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Molly Denham. April is the month of the military child and I wanted to highlight some stories from women who had served in the military who are also military kids and Molly is a military child and she served in the Air Force for 22 years. She joined the Air Force after high school and became an admin. Her career started right after the Gulf War and spanned past 9-11. In this interview, we talked about how much the military changed after 9-11 and her experience of being a military child and serving in the military and how that affected her children. So I'm really excited to get this episode out, so let's get started. I'm excited to share that Women of the Military is now on Reese Across America Radio every week. On Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern, you can find them on the iHeartRadio app, the Audacity app, or TuneIn. Welcome to the show, Molly. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? It was actually a fairly easy decision for me. I am a military brat. Both of my parents were in the military. My dad retired from the Air Force. My grandparents were in the military. All my uncles were in the military. I say it's kind of our family business. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me after high school to join the service. Did that impact what branch you joined? Oh, absolutely. I There was a one branch, and that was Air Force. My dad was Air Force. Uh, my mom was Air Force as well. And that's how they met. And then my grandfather was on my dad's side was also in the Air Force. So again, I, I did Air Force ROTC in high school. So it just is kind of a pattern. And when it came time for graduation, I didn't really have any college plans or anything. So the Air Force is all I knew. It, we lived on the bases. We grew up in the community. That's what I knew. And so that's where I went. My sister later went into the Navy, which I didn't understand, but hey, She's amazing and she's a super smart young lady. So, but Air Force was it for me. And I spent 22 years in the Air Force and and truly loved it. I love the legacy of service in your family and you're on the podcast because you're a military child. That was like one of the things I was looking for because April is the month of military children. And I just think that it's so important to talk about the stories of military kids because I know my kids have a really unique perspective on life and I think that people need to hear those stories and hear what that was like so I think that's really cool how the Air Force encapsulated your whole life and then continued to in your career for 22 years. It really is a different perspective so one of the stories that I've I've told my kids before is you know, I grew up on Air Force bases. We lived on base. We, you know, for the most part, we went to base schools until I got a little older into, you know, the junior high and high school years. And then we went to the regular public schools. I think I was in elementary school and a girlfriend, you know, one of my little friends had gotten sick. I was worried because she couldn't get on base to go to the hospital. <laughs> and my mom's like, Molly, they have hospitals off base. There are other... <laughs> I mean, my whole world was everything inside those gates. And, you know, how was she going to get to the hospital? She can't get on base. She doesn't have an ID card. How's that going to work? And so that was my whole world at, you know, at that point. And it's just a unique environment, I think. I kind of equate it to growing up in a small town, except you move from small town to small town to small town. And it, it, it's surprising how many people you run into that are the same and they move to the same small town. It's just 
very, very unique. Yeah, and we haven't ever lived on base, which I guess is kind of weird, but just the experience of like seeing different things and moving across the country and going different places. Like last year, we traveled to 27 states because we did a cross-country move, and then we did a northeast trip because we wanted to do that before we moved across to the west coast, and it was just, I'm like, that's crazy to think that my nine-year-old and seven-year-old went to not 27 states in their whole lives, but in just one year and that's just the way like military life is it's so different it is and and when I was so when I was a kid that was back I will date myself in the late 70s and early 80s that was when you moved every two years you really truly moved every two to three years not so much nowadays but back then you did and I did fifth grade in three different schools in two different countries. <laughs> and so it's it's just a different perspective. And then my kids, you know, we we were lucky enough to have, you know, a little bit more stability. You know, we we didn't move every two years. But my kids had they lived in England. We moved, you know, we and we ended up going to England. My son happened, he was in sixth grade at the time, happened to have been studying Egypt, ancient Egypt. And so for spring break, we took him to Egypt. We went and spent, you know, seven days in Egypt during spring break because it's it was right there. I mean, how many kids get to do that? You know, they're studying it and, and he got to actually go see it. And it was the best vacation we've ever had. You get such a different perspective on the world in general, how you fit into the world and, um, and how everybody else kind of fits into the world. It's just... It's very difficult to explain, um, especially to people who are not travelers. You know, if, if they don't, you know, travel a lot, they just don't understand what it can do and how it just opens the aperture of what's out there and what's available and what's, you know, what's possible. Yeah, that's so true. I w- I'm working on redoing my first episode because the podcast is going to be on Reefs Across America Radio starting mid-March, which is you know, we're recording before this happens and then this is going live after. But I was talking about how like before September 11th, my small town was like my entire world. And I didn't really know. And I was a senior in high school when that happened. And that event kind of like opened the world up to me. And now being served in the military, now I'm a military spouse. And the way our family has moved around and we're you know, connected to world events and paying attention. It's like so crazy to think how different my life is from, you know, before September 11th to joining the military to today. And it's just, it's really interesting. Yeah. I was in the service during September 11th and even just the military itself was even different afterwards than it was before. Um, It was really a defining moment. And it does change your perspective. My my son was, I think he was in fourth or fifth grade at the time. And so I don't know that he really understood what was happening, but he knew mom and dad, because we were both in the military. So he knew mom and dad were super busy during that time. And then that's when deployments started. And, you know, I ended up doing a one-year 
uh, remote assignment in Korea. Then I came home and six months later, my husband left <laughs> to go do a one year remote assignment in Korea. And, you know, there were, I've been deployed to the desert. My husband was deployed to the desert, you know, there, and it was, it was all right. It was all after nine 11, all of that stuff happened after nine 11. And, you know, there was one point where my son, you know, he came home and he's like, gosh, you guys are leaving again. Do you just not want to live with me? And, I, and so we had to explain to him, no, it's not that, that, there's more things going on than than just what's in your bubble. And, and that's what mommy and daddy have to take care of. And so I think he kind of understood it. But I guarantee you now that he's older, because he's now in his 20s, now that he's older, I think he pays more attention to those kinds of things. He, he reads, you know, he reads the news, you know, he's constantly sending me stuff, you know, hey, did you see this? Especially if it's a place where we've lived before, you know. England and, and Korea or e even Egypt, just because he visited there. Have you seen this going on? It's it just, like you said, it opens that up. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I want to go back to when you joined the military. And so, and talk about your pre 9-11. And then we can talk about post 9-11. Because I think that's a really interesting experience to hear. Not only did the world change, but the military changed, which, I mean, it makes sense. The military definitely went from, you know, not as many engagements and definitely not like more like conflict resolution or like keeping the peace to at war. Yeah, absolutely. So I came in the service in 91. So this was after the whole Kuwait, Iraq, it had just started. Um, basically. And, you know, the military was still, you know, they were riding, you know, riding high, you know, every, everybody had, you know, such a great image of the military. And, and there was so much patriotism going on at that time in the early 90s, which was wonderful. Um, and then, you know, the, the tempo slowed down a little bit there, you know, in the in the late 90s. And it gave families like myself much more stability we were able to stay in locations a bit longer than normal. We, you know, they still had, you know, people deploying, but it was, it was not a very big force because it was peacekeeping then at that time. And so, you know, it was happening, we were supporting it, but we really kind of felt a little bit separated from it because it wasn't something we were actively doing as, you know, as a large group in the military. It was, you know, hey, we're getting back to normal, we're getting into peace. And, you know, a lot of people were thinking, okay, we're going to go back to like it was maybe in the 80s when it was nice and even keel. And then obviously 9-11 happened and it just completely changed the way that the service, one, was viewed by the public. You know, again, it, it, it just, people had, I think, such great ideals for, you know, the individuals in the service, which was wonderful because they do such great things um, for our country. But the, the patriotism and everything was really, really high. And then the surface itself changed by, you know, now you have something bigger than yourself and bigger than just your job that you are contributing to. And not only that, but, you know, deployments then started happening very rapidly and often and not just one deployment, but you would deploy, then you would come home, then you would deploy and you would come home, you know, and being a military married to military, then you have to think, you know, okay, now we have to start looking at our family plan and, you know, what happens if we both have to go somewhere at the same time? You know, it just, it just was that heightened sense of awareness. Um, and that lasted for a really long time. I mean, it re it truly did. And I don't think that a lot of the public understands how long that really lasts. I mean, to them, it only lasts as long as the news continually shows it, but for military members and military families, because they are affected by all of it, 
it lasted for a long time. Um, and I have to see, you know, I retired in 2013 and it had started to somewhat slow down a little bit, but there were still, you know, especially in certain career fields, there were still, it was still very heightened. It just really changed what we thought our trajectory was. You know, we thought, okay, we're going back to how it was in the eighties, but it really did it. It just threw us back up there into that heightened sense of, of need. Yeah. I got out in 2013 and my main reason for getting out was the deployment tempo because as a civil engineer, we were on six months on six months off and that was 2013. It hadn't changed, you know, it hadn't started to go down and like everyone in my office was getting tasked for deployments. And it was like, I'm going to have to deploy and leave behind a six month old. And I don't want to do that. Like it was hard enough to deploy without having a child. And my husband was also military. So it was like all those things that just made it really hard. And so I think it's really interesting. And you guys were about like at the halfway point to retirement when September 11th happened. Yeah, we would have been. Yeah. Yeah. We would have been at that, you know, halfway. Um, My husband did 25 years. I did 22. So yeah, I was in that. Yeah. Kind of, Hey, you know, of course we never had a discussion on, Hey, do we stay or do we not? You know, that wasn't even really a discussion. It was, Hey, how do we get this to all work for all of us? We were very blessed. I'm an admin troop, so I'm not a high deployed asset. You know, I'm, I'm, not like, you know, CE or any of the other, you know, high deployed. At- I mean, I did deploy, but it wasn't one after the other, after the other, after the other. Um, so we were blessed in that sense. We were also very lucky that we happened to be at Offit at the time in Nebraska. And that's where I'm from. So my parents were there and, you know, we went, we had to leave at the same time. You know, I ended up having to go to school. My husband ended up having to go, you know, TDY. And we were both gone. So thankfully they were right there. We were, again, extremely blessed to have that option. That's not an option for a lot of a lot of military. Um, so it does become quite challenging. And I can completely understand why people would have to have the discussion on, okay, what do we do? You know, especially military, married to military. What do we do? Who stays? Do we both go? Do we both stay? Does one go? You know, and, and if one goes, who's the one that's going to go? You know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you guys didn't even have it wasn't like who's gonna stand it was how are we gonna make this work and I think that mindset shift instead of like asking the question should one of us get out or it's like no that's not even on the table we're gonna figure out how to make this work I can't think of a moment where we thought hey this isn't gonna work you know it was hey we need to figure out (laughs) we need to figure out how to make it work and and do do a little bit of planning you know um unfortunately there were there were quite a few people that were caught by surprise and did not have the time, an opportunity to do some of that planning. So there were, you know, some hiccups there in the beginning, but I think, you know, we were lucky enough to where we were able to do the planning and figure out, okay, if something were to happen and get all the paperwork in place ahead of time. I mean, if you're not in the military, you just don't understand what it takes, especially when you have family and you've got kids in school and you've got kids in daycare and you've got, there's a lot that goes into, you know, Hey, in two days, I've got to leave. (laughs) You know, in, in one week I've got to go and I won't be back for six months. We need to have paperwork done now. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. So you said that you're an admin troop. So did you go to AIT after basic training and then your first assignment? Right. So after basic training um, in uh, in San Antonio, I went to Mississippi um, for school. Um, at that time, 
I will date myself again. You know, this is the early nineties. So this is before computers and <laughs> everything. So it was, it was a self-paced course. And so I was there, I think like a month, it wasn't very long. It was very short. And then I went to my first duty station, which was back to San Antonio. And had you met your husband at that point or? No, I hadn't met him yet. Um, when I met him at my first duty assignment, um, we happened to be in the same dormitories at the same time. And what was his career field? Uh, at the time he was a TI, he was a drill instructor. <laughs> he was a drill instructor. So I worked out at Medina Annex officer training school um, for the commander out there. And at that time, the dormitories were separated by career fields. So, you know, all the cops had their spot and all the, you know, CE people had their spot. Well, I was one of two airmen at OTS. So there was really no spot for me. So they just plugged me in wherever they had a spot. And it just happened to be in his, in his dorm. And, and I had a roommate. And then they went to the one-to-one where you didn't have any roommates. So they moved me. And when they moved me, they moved me across the hall. They put me in the TI hallway, which as a young airman, just now coming out of basic training, you don't want to go in the hallway with all the TIs, but they were great. They were all so much fun. And, um, and I actually ended up living across the hall from him. And that's how we met. His daughter was three at the time. And she's actually the one that uh, invited me on our first date. So they were in the hallway getting ready to go watch Hook for New Year's Eve and she invited me to go with him. So that's our official first date. (laughs) How cute. That's a fun story. I love that. So he was a TI. Yeah, I could see that being very intimidating for being a, like a new airman. It's like, don't talk to me. I'm a- oh, it was, like- it was not, it was not fun. And, you know, after we started dating and said, one of the funniest stories I tell us, you know, after we're starting dating, you know, he had CQ duty, which is when the, the TIs have to stay downstairs overnight to keep an eye on the airman. So he has CQ duty and he wants me to bring him dinner because they can't leave. So I go and I get, you know, Kentucky fried chicken or something. It was chicken, whatever it was. So I brought him some food and I'm in the, you know, in the, in the dorm, you know, they've got airmen, you know, on, you know, washing the floor, whatever they were doing. And I bring him his food. And of course he's in his TI, you know, his uniform, he's got his TI hat on and he looks at the army, he goes, don't smell my food. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm never bringing you food again. I'm not doing this again. This is awful. <laughs> but I mean, but it was a job, you know, it was, it was his job at the time. So you were like, I don't need to live, re- relive these memories. No. Nope. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not doing that ever again. I said, I'm never bringing you food again. And he goes, why? What happened? I said, you yelled at some poor, you know, some poor guy that was, you know, doing, he was like, oh yeah, that's my job. <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to do. He didn't, it didn't even dawn on him that he had done it. He was like, oh yeah, I, that's what I'm supposed to do. Cause that was his job. Right. <laughs> How long did you stay in San Antonio before you moved? So we, we were in San Antonio. So we were, we were at Lackland, and then we moved over to Randolph, which is the other side of San Antonio. So we were there for a altogether seven years between the two between the two bases. So we were there for seven years, and then we moved to Offutt, and I worked at the wing, and Andy worked at Stratcom. And when did you become a mom? When we were in San Antonio. So Jessica was four, four, four and a half when we got married. So we we had Jessica, and then Brandon came along about two or three years later. So it was all in San Antonio. Um, And so we then moved up to Omaha, which is where I'm from. So, you know, I got to move back home, which was nice because it, you know, they're also the first grandkids. And so, and at the time they were the only grandkids at the time. So they, you know, mom and dad were happy to have them. It all worked out. 
Yeah, that's really, I, I just love it. And you could, it's like you kind of became a mom right when you got married or even really before because, yes. you know, you <laughs> yeah. you were in an intimate relationship and it's, that's makes sense. It's not like I'm, we're married now. I'm, now I'm mom. <laughs> so. No, no, um, no, it was, it was an Insta family, which, which I love. She's now, you know, she's now in her thirties and she's actually here she's about an hour away from us now. Um, and she's a research scientist and just does amazing things. She's, she's a super brain. That sounds really cool. You like became a family and you got married and then you moved and then you had your son and then you guys moved closer to family and you were living the great life. And then September 11th happened and it like changed everything. (laughs) It did. Yeah. So out of Omaha, you know, out of off it was when I deployed, I deployed first. I was I was the first one to, you know, leave our little family bubble. And I went to Saudi Arabia at the time. And I think Brandon was, I want to say two, maybe. I mean, he was, so he was little, you know, he, he was, he was still, you know, baby. And, um, and, and so I deployed and that was really difficult. That was before computers, before FaceTime, before texting, we didn't have any of that. <laughs> we didn't have any of that. We had a tent, you know, because you know, we lived out in the tents in the desert and we had a tent and there was a bank of phones and you would, you know, once a week, you had 10 minutes once a week and you would stand in line and you would, you know, wait for a phone bank to be available. And then you would get your 10 minute quick phone call to let them know that you're okay and to make sure that they're okay. And, and that was, that was really it. That was all the, you know, other than letter writing, that was all the communication that you had at the time. Yeah, it's so crazy. We also had a tent, but it had computers and it was, you know, first come, first serve. And we were at a smaller fob, so there wasn't a time limit, which was nice. And there wasn't like once a week, but it was still, I felt really limited because, you know, I'd have to get up early. I'd have to find an open computer. And sometimes there weren't open computers. And so I would talk to my husband like, once or twice a week on video chat and my parents once a week and I did a lot of emails instead of letter writing I did letter writing too but I think it's really interesting because I have a lot of the memories of like that was how we communicated was through email back and forth because talking wasn't you know something you could do every day and it was really hard to stay connected. Yeah, it was tough. So what we we came up with a system, you know, my husband would go to my parents' house on Sunday morning and I would tell him, okay, I'm going to get in line at this time, you know, give it, give it time, depending on, you know, how busy it was. And, you know, once I get in there, you know, talk to mom and dad real quick first, get their hellos out of the way so they could, and then, you know, talk to my husband. Brandon, you know, he was a baby at the time, so he really didn't know. But what we did do for him was, uh, of course, this was back in the VHS days, so we had a video recorder. So I made VHS tapes of me reading books. So it was just, you know, a whole bunch of books that I would that I read to him. And so at night, Andy would play him the video, and and it would be me reading a book for that particular night. So he could at least, see, you know, hear my voice, even though I wasn't home. Yeah, that's really cool. And United Through Reading has like a similar program where you can, you know, it's a little, it's a little more technical now, but it's cool that you were able to do that and that your husband had that as a resource. And I mean, that's just really cool. And it shows like your guys's ingenuity of like, let's figure out a way to make this happen. Let's figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Let's figure it out. 
And then um, after I came back from my deployment, you know, we stayed in Omaha and then I changed jobs um, and went to work at the wing. And then one day, I mean, out of the complete clear blue, I get, um, I get a notice saying, Hey, you're going to Korea for a one year remote assignment. And in, in a, you know, I think I had like three months, you know, in, in, the, in three months, you're going to be going to, and I thought, what, where did this come from? It just, it, it just the luck of the draw. And so, you know, we went, you know, I went home and I said, okay, here's, I will not lie. I didn't just go home. I went to my mom's house. I cried at my mom's house. I said, how could they do this? You know? <laughs> and then I went home and we discussed it and, um, and we we're like, all right, you know, here's, here's how we've got to do it. And, and, um, it was a little easier at that point. We still did not have FaceTime or anything like that. We didn't have any video communication, but we did have email. Although, you know, it was, I'm, you know, we didn't have personal email. It was, I'm mailing my husband's email because he, it's, you can't say anything, you know, too personal, you know, because it's, it's a work email, but at least it's something to keep, um, to keep going. And then of course it's Korea. So it's, you know, the opposite side of the day, you know, so it's night. So trying to get time to call each other, you know, was again, difficult, but at least I had a phone in my room. So, you know, um, we didn't have cell phones and stuff back then, but at least I had a phone in my room, you know, so we could somewhat keep in touch, um, and, and talk to each other. Yeah. I think it's great how much technology has changed to make it easier to stay connected. I mean, even between when I deployed and like now I'm like, it's crazy. Like when I left at the end of my deployment, I went to Bagram before, you know, because I was waiting for a rotation to get out of there. And they had Wi-Fi, which they didn't have when I first got there or any of the other times. And so I was able to use my laptop and like have a video chat with my parents and watch the World Series because that was what was on TV. And like we were watching it together through video chat. And we couldn't have done that because like, you know, at Bagram, the tense line is very long and, you know, and you're limited and you can't sit next to a TV or in, you know, a tent with just computers. And so that was like game changing. And it was just at the very end of my deployment. And I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then, like I said, when I came back from Korea, you know, six months later, we get the notice that, hey, you know, Andy's now going to Korea. Thankfully, we already knew what to expect somewhat. Um, You know, we, we knew, you know, kind of the pattern of it. And, and so when he went to Korea, we were like, okay, we know, you know, kind of how, how this rhythm is going to play out. Um, we're just switching, we're just switching spots at this, at this point. Um, so, you know, he went and did his year in Korea and I will have to say both of us would, would both probably agree that, that the Korea assignment was, it really was a great assignment. You know, it's, it was, it's just an amazing country and, and we loved it. It just, was terrible that you couldn't bring your family. You know, it just, that one stunk. Um, I think, I think the family would have really loved having that kind of experience. And then when Andy came back is when we left for England. So he came back and at this point, our oldest, she had, she is just graduating high school and our son was moving from elementary to junior high. And so he had, I think he had a lot of difficulty moving at that point because we had been, you know, he had been in elementary school then fairly stable in Nebraska. 
you know, he's finally going into sixth grade, which in elementary, in his elementary school was K through six, they're going to be, you know, the big dog in the school. And then we went to England and their middle school is six to nine. So now he's back at the bottom. So, you know, shuffle was a little bit different for him. Plus it was, you know, it was a DOD school, you know, it wasn't a public school, it was a DOD school, which is different. Um, So it was quite an adjustment, but we loved England. I mean, it was just a fabulous... In all honesty, if I could have afforded it, we could have, if we would have retired and stayed there (laughs) because it was just wonderful experience. Um, And then while we were in England, my husband got deployed. And so we, you know, we're like, okay, you know, at this point, computers are a little bit more, more there, still not, you know, they're still not cell phones. They're still not the FaceTime or anything like that. But we can at least email. And again, it's it's through the government email. We don't have, you know, personal email. Um, so it's still through the government email, but at least we're able to communicate with each other, you know, quite a bit. He can call me on the DSN line, you know, if he has the opportunity. So that was a little bit easier for us. And then uh, when he came back from deployment, we got called back to the States because um, I got an assignment here at the Pentagon. So we came back to Virginia. We came back early from our overseas tour. And then we're still here. You know, we decided to retire out of, out of, uh, out of Virginia. And it was an amazing career for us. I mean, they really, the air force does what they can to take care of everybody. You've also got to take care of yourself. They can't do everything for you. So you like, like we've said before, you've got to make it work, you know, figure out where the gaps are, what the problems are and make it work. Um, and make it work for you. You know, you've got to make it work for you. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your transition out of the military. You had 22 years. And so why was it the right time to leave the military? So at that point, I was at the Pentagon and I had been at the Pentagon at that point for five years, which was longer than what I should have stayed there. I was, um, I was very lucky to get a boss that requested that I stay. And so I was also up for promotion, for promotion. And I knew if I wanted to stay in the military, my husband had been retired at this point. He, he retired. He's now, he's an ROTC um, instructor for the high school up here. And so he had already retired. And so I thought, okay, either I stay in and we will have to move because I, I cannot stay at the Pentagon anymore. I, I've already overstayed or I, or I retire. Um, our son at the time was a sophomore going to junior in high school. So do I move him his junior year? You know, I, I'm fairly certain I could have gotten promoted. You know, I, I think I could have, do I take all of that and go to a new assignment and move him in his junior year of of high school or, you know, and my husband's now got to find another job as well because now he's civilian. So, you know, stop all of that and move or, do I go ahead and retire and say, okay, you know, that's, that's it. And so that's, that was the, you know, decision that we made was, Hey, it's best for us. We don't want to move him. Let's go ahead and retire. This is um, our, that's a big decision to, to think about your kids. Cause as they get older, moving when they're really little before they're in school is easy. And even in elementary school, it's not easy, but it's not as challenging, but then, you know, the higher they go, in school, the harder it gets. Absolutely. And, and in all honesty, I think if we would have moved, I don't, you know, my son would have been upset, but I think he would have been fine ish, but 
we also had to deal with, okay, now I've got a civilian spouse who needs to find a job and where do we go? Do we, do we ask, you know, to do an, an overseas assignment again, which then is difficult for our son who's in high school. Cause then he's got to come back if he wants to go to college or what is he going to do after high school? You know, there were too many variables in there. And so we just said, said, you know what, it's been great, but for us, we've got to go ahead and, and punch and, um, and do what's best for our family at this point. So very true. Military spouse unemployment is a real challenge that military families are facing. And yeah, when you, you guys were dual military, so you didn't have to worry about that as you moved. And then once he got out, it's like, oh, wait, this, this changes everything. It, this it is does. It really, it, you know, it changes your calculations. You know, anybody who is a military spouse and follows the military members, I give them mad props because it is not easy. You know, it's, it's not easy, you know, and depending upon what you do as a military spouse, you know, your certification for whatever your job may be, may not follow you as unfair as that sounds, you know, it, completely unfair. You've got a job and you've got a career that you're trying to build. And depending upon what that is, you may not be able to even work in the new place that you're going. If you go overseas, then what do you do? You know, you you can't even, do you even speak the language of where you're going? Much less can you get a job, but can you speak, you know, how are you, you know, how are you going to, to live? I mean, it's, it's challenging being a military spouse, you know, husband or wife, doesn't matter. It's, it's a challenge. And I give mad props to military spouses because they really keep things together. I don't know how they do it. It's it's amazing. Yes, it is really hard, but I think they are working on legislation. I know they just passed in, I think, January, a legislation to help with the certification. There's not really a lot of guidance on how they're going to make it work, but <laughs> <laughs> they tried to make they're, it long. Yeah, we'll see they're trying. You know, slowly but surely, they're trying. But you know, it, regardless of what legislation they do, it's still difficult because you still have to go to a new place where you may or may not know anybody, and you have to find how you fit into that. You know, your spouse, your military member, goes in with a ready-made job. They have a boss. They have you know, most most of them will have some sort of turnover so that you know they can they can learn their job a military spouse doesn't have any of that and it's difficult um you know there's thankfully there's lots of you know many bases have spouses organizations and and they you know places where that they can go and get you know some help but i don't know anybody that's you know that's i think a lot of the impetus and the and the the hard part is i don't know anybody what am i going to do it's scary i couldn't imagine doing that, just uprooting and saying, okay, let's go. <laughs> moving is the easy part. Physically moving, <laughs> believe it or not, is the easy part. It's it's the what comes after that that is really challenging. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, lo- the logistics of moving, like someone was like, oh, well, you're good at moving because you do it a lot. I'm like, well, like logistically, but that doesn't mean that it's easy and all the other aspects, there's never like a same situation that you move into. Like maybe you meet someone quickly. Sometimes you don't meet people. Sometimes COVID happens and messes right. everything up. <laughs> right. And, and then you meet nobody right. and you're just out there on your own. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. I mean, and, and thankfully, you know, technology is such now that you can still have reach back to, you know, the individuals that you've cultivated friendships over the years, you know, where, you know, whereas I, you know, I recall as a kid, every time, 
you know, every time we came home and there, it was family meeting time, that's when we knew, you know, there was, there was a change coming, you know, mom and dad said, okay, time for family meeting. We're like, oh man, where are we going now? I mean, my friends were just, they were just gone. There was no, you know, Hey, keep them on Facebook or, you know, what? no, my, my friends were just gone. And then I'm plopped into a new school and I have to make new friends. And I am exceedingly shy, especially as a kid. It was painfully shy as a kid. It was very difficult to go through that. And, you know, I imagine that military spouses have to feel the same. You know, the military member gets to go to an office that has people there welcoming him or her in saying, hey, you know, we're glad you're here. This is great. Here's your job. Here's your desk. Here's your stuff. All of that, they have that ready-made. And then the military spouse is there, you know, to keep the family moving and, and keep them keep them going in the right direction. It's it's difficult. Yeah, I've definitely written blog posts about that. <laughs> because it is. Like you said, you I say that like the military gives people instant friendships, but military spouses, it's like you have to claw your way out there and find your own friendships and build your own network. And it's really hard. And like the military member is like plugged in instantly. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I mean, if you don't live on base, you know, living in base housing, at least from my perspective when I was a kid, it was fairly easy because all the kids around you were in the same exact boat. They knew exactly, you know, they are they like, oh, you're the person that just moved in. You know, you where'd you come from? And, you know, sometimes they may have been there before or what have you. But if you don't live on base, which a lot of people don't live on base anymore, there's so many options out there. Then you're just kind of there. And, you know, depending on the community, I mean, I lived in a, we lived in a community for, I think we were there for three years and I don't think I met any of our neighbors. I mean, it's just, that's the way that, that's just the way the neighborhood was that, you know, you didn't meet, you didn't mingle, you know, nothing. Um, so it's, it can be very difficult and daunting, especially if you're an introverted spouse. Yeah, that's very true. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing today. What are you doing today? And then I'll wrap it up with my last question. Yeah, you betcha. So after retire, uh, after I retired, one of my old bosses had asked me to help him with some admin work. Um, and so he said, you know, hey, I need some help. He had just retired as well. And he said, I'll pay you. And I thought, oh, well, that's a great gig. You know, <laughs> all right. So I became a virtual assistant back, you know, this was nine years ago. So back when there was really no remote work. And I've been doing that ever since. Um, I've opened my own agency and I have my own employees now that take care of clients and, and I design software for administrative assistance. So I, the air force gave me all the tools I needed because I've been admin my whole career. So I've been doing this for more than 30 years. That's what I know. It's what I love. And it's, I was able to easily transition it into the civilian world and build something of my own instead of going, you know, corporate or going G, you know, going back to the GS route or what have you. I just built something of my own. That's really cool. I love hearing stories like that, hearing about entrepreneurs and taking something that was kind of like a off chance opportunity and then being like, oh, this is like a great fit and let me build something. Absolutely. If one person says that they need it, then I'm sure that there are other people out there that need it. And that's kind of how I, you know, how I took it. And, and then, you know, my client list got too, you know, I only have so many hours in a day, so it got too big for me. And I said, well, you know, maybe I should start hiring on some people. So I did. And now I have, I have an agency and have my own employees. So it's still small, but Hey, it's, it's doing its thing. 
And it works for you, right? It does. I absolutely love it. I don't think you could pay me enough to go work in an office again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. So I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering military service? So what would you say to that question? So I would first, I would encourage anybody, male or female, um, especially if they're not sure what they want to do after high school, because I guarantee you the military, regardless of what branch you choose, will find something for you to do. (laughs) They will find something. And not only will they find something, but they will train you in whatever that is. But I would tell you, do, do some research, you know, find somebody, you know, somebody who's been in the military. If you don't have anybody in your family that's ever been in the military, look up like a VFW or some, some other military organization. They're all over the place and just talk to somebody about their experience. What some of the things that that they like, some of the things that they didn't so that you go in with an open mind, you know, you've got to go in knowing what some of the, you know, all the good things, because there's a lot of good being in the service, you know, provides you. There's also some pitfalls that you just have to avoid. I mean, that's, you know, that's life. Nothing is, nothing is a hundred percent wonderful. So you, you've got to, I would say, just do, do your research. I would also recommend, especially if you're a you know, young kid coming out of high school, or you've had a couple of years of college or what have you, is go in with an idea of what you want to do. All right. Um, You know, because like I said, they will pick for you and you may or may not be happy with that. (laughs) But at least if you go in with an idea and say, okay, you know what? I know I do not want to work at a desk. Maybe I want to do something with my hands. And they can say, okay, well, maybe they will steer you towards, you know, a civil engineering career or something like that. Or, you know, yes, I love working in office like me. I'm super organized. They steered me towards admin and I was like, heck yeah, that's exactly I love organizing things. I love putting things together and I, you know, getting stuff just right. That's my passion. And so they put me there and, you know, just stick with it, stick with it. You know, even if today sucks, tomorrow will be different. If you don't like the place that you're at, you are not going to be there forever. You know, those are, you know, I, I, I tell people a lot, don't make, you know, long-term decisions to fix a short-term problem. If you look at the bigger picture, you know, okay, you know, yeah, I don't like it here. You know, okay, again, let's see what we can do to make it work until I can get to where I want to be. So those are just my nuggets of advice for individuals. I love it. And I am working on creating resources for girls considering joining the military. So I have my book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, and then I'm slowly growing a mentorship program. So if you're want to talk to a woman veteran, you can go and check that out in the show notes and sign up and I'll help get you connected with my growing list of women veterans. And so thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really appreciated taking time out of your busy schedule to do this and just thank you. Thank you, Amanda. It was wonderful. I am very passionate in case you can't tell. I'm very passionate about the military and the service and I recommend it to everybody that is even thinking about it that you know give it a try thanks so much for listening to this week's interview i'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode have a great week